Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 67th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that may have a new perspective on standard. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides a competitive pricing on Magic Singles and Sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Uh, this is Travis Allen, and I am James' co-host. Glad to be here this weekend. Looking forward to uh, some ex- exciting chatter ahead of the Pro Tour, which starts, uh, I believe, tomorrow. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, MTGPrice.com, the manager collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, Travis, what's on our agenda today? James, we have a show in three parts this week. Segment one is our top movers, where we will look at all of the cards that have increased the most in price this past week. Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I will share some perspective on cards we think might rise in price in the future. And segment three, we have our Pro Tour Perspective, or some other clever name, where we're going to look at some standard uh, MTGO results, uh, as well as kind of discuss what we think might be in store for the Pro Tour this weekend uh, and where the value may lie. So let's jump right in at the bottom of our list, segment one, Top Movers. Our first card this week is Nickel Bolas. Uh, we're looking at the copy from Legends specifically. Started the week at around 15, up to around 22. So some movement on this guy. Not too thrilling, about 50%, but definitely a shift. And given that this is a Legends, the Legends edition specifically, even though there are plenty other copies around, if the Legends copies are moving, it means people actually want the Legends copy. They're not just looking for the cheapest copy. So I would expect this price to be reasonably resilient. Yeah, I mean, this is the year of Bolas, right? The the early and middle part of 2017 are all about this character in the magic lore, the big baddie of uh, of the next of the current set and the next set as well. And not, not a huge surprise that given the amount of hype around the the character name, uh, we're seeing a little bit of movement on the original printing. He is a cool looking card, and he's not unplayable either. Um, I mean, you're not going to run him in any real format but you know he's a he's a fine commander in edh so if you're kind of leaning into that storyline this year uh you could do worse for a commander um so the legends copies are are pretty cool too although he is noticeably more uh domicile in the legends artwork than he is anywhere else yeah i'm not a huge fan of the original art i think the from the vault dragons uh edition has uh much uh more badass art even though he looks a little bit feral uh in in that artwork the the quality is clearly better yeah i i also like that one uh what's next on our list james so the next two are a pair of artifacts that are related to a Traxa uh, foil copy specifically, and one of them I called just two episodes ago, and lo and behold, here it is right at the price we called. Uh, the other one is along the same vein. The first is uh, Lux Cannon foils moving from $11 to 18 which is more or less exactly what we said would happen. Uh, up 7 bucks or 63%. Uh, Lux Cannon uh uh, destroys or exiles permanence. Uh, exiles. Exiles based on the 
basically every time it gets three counters, you get to exile a permanent is the way it goes down. And then a track, so that's pretty fast. Um, Scepter of the Magistrate is pretty similar, but lets you take extra turns every once in a while. And the foils for that moved from $20 to $31. Uh, Scepter of the Magistrate was from Mercadian Masks, I believe, and Lux Cannon was from Scars of Mirrodin, uh, both in the like 55 to 65% uh, bump range, and potentially with more room to grow as Atraxa stays uh, front and center in the minds of many commander players. Sure, I could definitely see that Scepter of the Magistrate tick up from there as well. You know, if you're picking up cop- foil copies at 30, it's from Arcadian Masks. Not a card you're likely to see reprinted anytime soon. And if they do, it's probably going to be in like a commander set. Um, I don't know if you could get foils and they won't be old border foils. So, you know, that's a card that two years from now we could look back on and see they're 80 bucks and not really question it. I mean, let's put it this way. There's there's probably double or triple the amount of copies of Etherworks Marvel from Kaladesh as there are of Sep- uh, Lux Cannon from Scars Over Mirrodin, and then maybe un- like 10 times more copies than there are of Scepter of the Magistrate because Mercadian Masks was way back in the early 2000s. Yeah, no kidding. Um, all right, our next card's up uh, another pair. We've got Plague Belcher and Dread Wanderer. Both of these have been part of the standard Zombies build we've been seeing. Um, it has done uh, reasonably well both at Star, the Star City Open and it's been showing up online. Uh, Plague Belcher is like a cheap a cheap beater with Menace, I believe, and Dread Wanderer is the one mana 1-2 that uh, recurs from your graveyard. Um, both Zombies, they both pick, get boosted by Lord of the Accursed. Um both part of that same strategy jumped from about two dollars to like three fifty. So one of those jumps that you know you can't really capitalize on, although they do well in your trade binder if you already had them there. Um, up around three fifty, you know the deck already has Relentless Dead and Crypt Breaker in it, and those are m- much more so the choke points for value on the deck. So you know typically supporting rares like this, and even if, even if it's a consistent tier one deck, uh, aggressive deck and standard, um, generally can't hold the price of five dollars. Uh, so I think if you have these, I would try and get rid of them, um, you know, trading them out at your local store, you know, tomorrow at FNM ahead of the pro tour early next week would probably be ideal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the thing with this is that if you want to, for a rare to hold above $5, it needs to be ubiquitous in the sense that it is being played in at least two, if not three of the major archetypes. When it's only showing up in the one deck, once everybody that wants to play that deck gets their paws on it, there's not really a, much price pressure beyond that. Um, people uh, settle into their decks for the season and and the opportunity for the pop is just not there anymore. You need consistent sustained pressure across multiple formats, similar to what you're seeing with Fatal Push, pushing 10 bucks is an uncommon. Um, you know, that's driven off many, many different decks across multiple formats wanting the card simultaneously. Um, and everybody realizing that the amount of additional supply is not going to meet demand anytime soon. Yeah, and uh, those cards are really not very playable anywhere outside of standard. Um, Relentless, Sudden Crypt Breaker, kind of, maybe, but definitely not the other two. So nothing to see there. Uh, yeah, I mean, what if, have you got? If, if you pre-ordered that stuff at a buck, um, you know, during the the pre-order season, and now you get to exit at like twelve to fourteen dollars a playset minus fees, then you know you're, you're pocketing six to eight bucks. That's not the worst place to be, although it's not extremely exciting. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. That's totally solid. I guess I just mean, you know, there's if you don't have any copies now, uh, you know, there's not, nothing you're doing with it. Um, okay, what's next for us? So Elspeth's Son's Champion, the dominant, dominant standard force of uh, the Theros block. Um, foils have gone from 22 to 40 on, uh, you know, the kind of ongoing 
uh, minor level of demand that's been pr- pressure that's been put on that card through a combination of occasional modern play and uh, play in EDH via Atraxa, Narset, uh, and Riss. Um, and you know, just goes to show that you give you give a set four to five years, and foils of any uh, a mythic that has demand across any number of formats are likely to see growth. Yeah, for sure. I remember this card in standard. She was uh, pretty good. Um, yeah, and and seemingly almost getting better in modern, almost, uh, but continually showing up. Um, so uh, a force to be reckoned with for sure. Um, and you know, you're not going to see the price on this drop really that much you know even with a reprinter you're still talking about the original foil printing of a, of a powerful walker so there is enough of a demand for that there, there's an outside chance she gets reprinted in iconic masters depending on you know whether they decided to have a time period cut off for that set which is not clear as of yet um so i mean i'm not sure i would want to be holding a lot of these but you know, if if you had one sitting around sometime in the next three to six months, you might want to think about getting rid of it. If you were smart enough to get in on this as a spec at some point, um, I don't know, you know, what your logic was at the time other than that it would eventually <laughs> drain out. Um, but, you know, this is this summer, late spring. This is probably where you want to get off that train and move your money elsewhere. Now, it's been it's been a little while, but I believe the Theros cards the foil Theros cards were kind of after that printing shift, right? They have that kind of otter sheen to them rather than like older foils like Innistrad. Uh, I, th- I think they do look a little glossier, if that's what you mean. Um, there's also the fact that Elspeth Sun's Champion has uh, a dual deck printing from late in her, her time in Standard that actually has mm-hmm. superior art but worse foiling. So... Um, you know, that that doesn't seem to be holding back the pack foils, which seems to be everybody's predominant preference these days. Mm, yeah, right, right. Um, okay, next up is commit to memory, commit slash slash memory. That is the blue Amoncat split card. One half is counter target spell or counter, wait, no, return target spell or non-land, per, uh, no, wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> I'm trying to do this from memory. Put target spell or non-land permanent second from the top of its owner's library. Did I get there? Did I figure it out? <laughs> okay, that's commit. Um, so basically, it takes a spell or a permanent um, and puts it second from the top of your opponent's library. So pretty, it, it's a pseudo counter spell and also gets rid of annoying permanents. And then you've got uh, memory on the flip side, which is wheel of fortune, um, which is you know shuffle up and draw seven. So overcosted on both halves. But as we are seeing um, across a variety of these types of cards, and as we have seen uh, across magic cards through history, is that even if you're overpaying for the effect, kind of having getting two uses out of your card uh, is really useful. And commit to memory is becoming more prevalent in standard. Um, I know that it's a pretty um, integral part of a turbo fog deck that's been that's popped up uh, saffron covered it earlier this week or last week i don't know if it's good but it played four of them and he showcased it you also have the interesting interaction where commit is an instant and memory is a sorcery but torrential Gearhulk says you can cast an instant uh, from your graveyard when you when it comes into play and the way this all shakes out is that you can cast memory which is a sorcery at instant speed with torrential Gearhulk. so that allows you to uh wheel of fate at instant speed with Gearhulk, 
So at the end of your opponent's turn, you flash down Gearhawk, you memory, your opponent draws seven new cards, but it's the end of their turn, and you get to untap with your whole new hand and a Gearhawk. Um, so pretty symmetry breaking there. Uh, copies are up from about a dollar and a quarter to about three um, for a bit of an increase. Again, we're talking about an Amonkhet rare. So even if it's the best rare in the set, this is not going to be much more than seven or eight dollars. And it's got a long way to go to get there. We could see a spike this weekend at the Pro Tour. We'll just have to see how it pans out. Uh, but even at $3, I think if you don't have a play set and this is a card you'd want to play, I don't think you're going to feel bad picking them up. No, I think I think this card is going to be useful and standard throughout its duration, um, because the front half of the spell only requires a single blue, and it looks like blue has a role to play. There's a lot of blue has better, more has superior access to counter spells versus almost any year in the last five. Um, in this format, they're between essence scatter and this, and um, uh, which 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 is the one that counters activated abilities on Marvel as well as countering mm. a spell for three. From Kaladesh. Disallow? Yeah, I think Disallow. Um, and Negate's also still in the format. I mean, they're all, all of the... all of the And Sensor, right? Um, you know, the cycling uh, force spike. Between all of that, you've got all of the components of, like, you know, true classic control. Um, and on that basis, I think that, you know, go ahead, pick up your playset. Doesn't matter, you know, what your local price is. You're probably going to end up using them if, if you're that kind of player. Um, if you're a zombie aggro player, then just leave well enough alone and move on. Um, one of the things I think is funny here is that, you know, in shutting down the brain in a jar split card shenanigans, um, and the stuff with all the expertise cycle, wasn't that supposed to make this all super intuitive, but now you're telling me that we can torrential gear Hulk back the sorcery side of a split card with, that has instant sorcery on it. Yeah, (laughs) sure. You guys uh, really knocked it out of the park with that rolling, I guess. Fix that right up. Did they? You know, I didn't even think it was that complicated, right? It was no, like, I, it's it's the cheaper half of the card. I, I think the better argument than complicated in that instance was that it restricted design space because it was going to make some of this uh, additionally broken. Um, so, you know, they, they cut out some of the confusing and weird things you can do and left us some new ones. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah. All right, so next on the list we have Debt of Loyalty out of Weatherlight. Um, this is a card that, if I'm not mistaken, regenerates a creature for one and two white, and then you take control of it? Uh, I believe so. Regenerate target creature, you gain control of it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is occasional EDH play, but not at the level that would justify a price spike. Um, I'm going to have to go ahead and guess that somebody made a move on this, seeing noting that it had low supply. Um, is this a reserve list card? It is. Ah, so this is just people go, people going down the list of reserve list stuff then. Yeah, that uh, should answer that. Wrap that one up pretty nicely. <laughs> yeah. Um, Not a whole lot more to ahead. say on that topic then. No, no just but, whatever. It, it, it is what it is. $2.50 to $9. If you got some sitting around in a bulk box, go ahead and try to sell them and let me know if you actually move a copy. Yeah. I mean, it is not a terrible card in all honesty. Like it's I'm using the follow up. Like if you cast a wrath and then you debt of loyalty something in response. Um, so, you know, you wipe the board, but you get the best creature. Uh, it's not terrible, you know, playable. Uh, next up is Dusk Urchins from Shadowmoor. Started the week at a dollar up to seven. Uh, although that price is still kind of in flux at the moment. So we'll see what it lands at. That is a three mana four three. Uh, from Shadowmoor, whenever it attacks or blocks, you put a minus one, minus one counter on it. 
And when it dies, you draw a card for each minus one, minus one counter. So the idea here is that in Hapatra, you attack with this, put the one mana, the one mana minus one, minus one counter on it. And then that triggers your Hapatra, which allows you to create a snake token because you put a minus one, minus one counter on a creature. Plus it can trigger all sorts of other effects that you've got floating around too. Like there's crumbling ashes, blowfly infestation, uh, flourishing defenses, like all of these different effects. Um, and you know, some of those may work with your own creature. Some of them not. I don't, re- I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but um, essentially it is a way to keep generating minus one, minus one counters and also to draw some cards when it dies. You know, I played enough EDH to know that, it's a four three, and when you attack, it turns into a three two. Uh, I don't know what game of EDH you're attacking with a three two on turn five that it's likely to survive. Um, so you really only get to do it once. So I don't love this. I think we do see it drain back closer. It's not going to be a dollar, but like two or three bucks. So I mean, if you had any, I would be dumping them uh, onto TCG or wherever as fast as I possibly could. So I think that I agree with you that the impact of this card in a a high-powered game of Commander is probably pretty low. Um, but I, I, given that there's no way to resupply the card, um, and I don't think people have random playsets sitting around, um, I think that the... And the fact that Hapatra is a cool deck, but kind of desperate for synergy. Like, it's really only Amonkhet and the Eventide. I mean, the... Uh, uh shadowmore uh cards that focused on minus one minus one counters so there really are, the the pool of available options is not that deep and i think it makes the deck every time for now if we get more minus one minus one counters an hour of devastation and more you know a few years down the road or something then you know this may not make the cut or people may just figure out that it's you know one of the bottom five cards and and can be swapped out with some uh non-synergistic card for greater effect um but I, I can see this holding five, six bucks pretty easily just based on Hapatra seeming to uh, be making quicker inroads than I think many people expected. Eh, maybe, maybe. I'm not going to completely write it off, but it just seems, I don't know. I look at that card and I'm like, yeah, if I'm a Hapatra player, I can sit there and daydream a pretty awesome scenario where this does a lot of work. But realistically, I don't. I think you're going to attack with it once, get one trigger, and then it's going to die. How do you feel about the next one on the list? uh better <laughs> so uh the last card on our list is flourishing defenses this is a five mana enchantment uh from Shadowmore. it is it says whenever a minus one minus one counter is placed on a creature you get a one one green elf warrior so very similar to uh essentially very similar to Hapatra. actually this is the same effect whenever you put a minus one minus one counter on a creature uh yeah basically the same thing snake versus elf so it's a backup hapatra essentially uh except it's an enchantment so good good card type um a little pricey but not awful uh, in terms of mana cost you know it went from a quarter to three so it sees a humongous gain but i'm pretty sure the only people that are making out well on this one are people who own stores that have these set aside for buy list or what have you um because you know even if you were you know, listen to Jim on cast this week or last week, uh, and you bought a stack of these at 25 cents, like, what are you going to put one in an envelope for $3 on TCG player after, <laughs> you know, after stamp, you know, your stamp alone is 50 cents, and you have the envelope. And then, you know, basically you're making like be about $2 per envelope that you send out. And it's probably taking you like a good two or three minutes per card. Uh, so, you know, you're making money, but 
but not real yeah. money. Yeah, it is. Even if you get to a dollar a minute, which is $60 an hour, which is a higher hourly rate, I'm sure, than most of our listeners, that still sounds like a pretty miserable to do more than like 20 cards. Um, you you really just hope someone buys all of them at once, or at least even if it's not one order, that you do like 20 separate orders in one day so you can just jam through them all kind of in a... Uh, a line um, instead of having to do one or two every single day. I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, any, go ahead. We, we've been shitting on these like $1 to $4 specs for a while now. I guess we should at this point remember to mention that buy lists are a thing. Um, yeah. You know, if the buy list gets high enough on one of these and, and then that's your route. Like when, when I'm talking about standard cards, I don't like to talk about buy lists because buy lists for standard cards tend to be pretty bad unless they're extremely hot. Um, and they also move really fast. Yeah, and and the, they shift a lot, and it, there's also standard is a fickle beast, right? Like the pro tour um, does not necessarily define the format because a the pros do pick the deck that they think is best against other pros, and b the pro tour includes uh, multiple rounds of draft that interfere with the flow of the best standard decks actually getting to the top tables. Um, you know, the guys in the top eight are not necessarily the best standard players, um, although they probably did well. Uh, it doesn't mean they were they were you know, the most exciting standard decks. And all of that adds up to, <clears throat> you know, the Pro Tour sending a bunch of false signals into the marketplace. And it's it's tough to go in on a dollar card and get out in time unless your deck uh, really owned the weekend out of nowhere. Um, but something like Flourishing Defenses, which is very unlikely to see a reprint anytime soon, um, if you can get in at 25 cents and then just sit on them for a while and eventually the buy list gets up into the 2 $3 range and you can get 100% store credit or whatever... Um, uh, for the value, then you know that's a that's a fine play, it's, especially if you're sending it in with a whole bunch of other stuff that you're buy listing. Yeah, I mean, I agree that uh, there's you can make money on these types of cards. It's just not my favorite way to do it, just because it looks so good on paper, but the outcome is uh, it's. It's lackluster it's because it's always going to look better on paper, basically. Well, I mean, it doesn't account for opportunity cost to say that this is up 1100%. That's, that's the yeah. bottom line. Um, yeah, that you, is. You need, a good you need way to know what it. your hourly rate is, and you need to apply that to your specs to figure out what makes sense. You also need to look at like time spent processing orders. Like to, to make, for a dollar card to go to $2, and then for you to sell them, say it's an EDH card, you're selling them one at a time, is insane versus just buying one Masterpiece Soul Ring when it was 110 stateside and waiting for it to get to 160. Like insane. Yeah. It's, you're comparing apples to extremely rotten or oranges. It's not even close. When you started that, when you're like, you're comparing apples, it's like, I wonder what he's going to say. Where is he going <laughs> with this? Cause he's going to have to come up with something clever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. You, you, you want to consolidate your specs, especially if you've got a full-time job or you're a student or you got a family or whatever, you want to be spending the least amount of time on this possible because the difference between you and a vendor is that that's their full-time job. They've got, they get to distribute their overhead over thousands of transactions. You want to minimize your total number of transactions and maximize your profit. So you got to keep all that in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's go into our second segment of the week. Uh, we are looking at our cards, our picks. What do we like? James, what do you like? I've been poking people all month trying to make clear my opinion on where speculation is at in 2017. And it's all about the EDH. 
Um, we talked about Attracts a couple of weeks ago. Then I was talking about Brea, which is now bought out and closer to $20 than the $4 I told you guys to get in on. Um, I hope you guys picked up some copies. Um, I'm very much looking forward to processing the 60 or 80 I have lying around waiting to be resold and slowly bleeding them back out into the marketplace. Um, this week, I went pretty deep already on Alicia uh, or Alesha, who smiles at death. This is the um, medium to high interest commander um, with an aggro combo angle uh, from Fate Reforged, a set that <laughs> does not is not deep enough in excellent cards for anybody to be go popping trying to find foils of this card. So now that the inventory has fully drained out of the market. Um, I think you're going to have trouble uh, tracking this down. But in your local store, there may be a copy or two that you might want to pick up at a price that they haven't bothered to update yet. And there are some online vendors that uh, I didn't bother to target that still have some lying around. Uh, also, Europe and Japan still have this card uh, at a reasonable price point. So if you want to play it, go ahead and get one. Um, and if you want to speculate on it, uh, I wouldn't hesitate. Um, my buy-in price was somewhere around 425 on average, but I think anywhere up to, say, 5 or 6 is fine because I suspect that you're going to get out on this at 15 uh, once people realize that one of the better commanders just no longer exists. Okay, and now you're talking about foils, though, right? Yes, foils. Okay, just making sure because I didn't catch that. Uh, yeah, I have a buddy who plays this deck, and it, it is very combolicious. You can do all sorts of that type of stuff with it. Um, seems like it's right up the alley of, uh, of people who enjoy that type of activity. So um, your your quoted price here of uh, $5 is, is really pretty cheap. I kind of didn't realize they were that cheap, so I, I'm, uh, I'm on board with this. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty much the same price point we found Bray at um while the inventory was already draining and then cleaned that up um alicia had even fewer copies um lying around and i think just because i I suspect that this is like ties into this whole concept of attrition i keep coming back to which is that there's probably lots of alicia foils sitting around but they're sitting around in people's kind of like forgotten binders and you got that under the bed and in the closet problem where because the card was never a big deal in standard um, it just it's it's sitting around in people's like bulk bins and draft castoffs and stuff like that, and people don't even aren't even going to realize it's a twenty dollar card till they pull it out at a very slow pace over the next three to five years. Uh, for sure, for sure, people are not going to know how much that thing is, and it's also not a card that I I can see any reasonable place where it might be printed any time in the near future. Right? It's super yeah. story, super story specific, and it's in three colors. Yeah, that is a tough one to ship for sure. Uh, not, yeah, commander but, product maybe is like it. Well, we know really? it's not this year's commander product because these are all monocolored decks this year. So at minimum, you've got a year and a half to sell through this card. Yeah, you got a while. You got a while. Um, okay, my first pick this week is uh, it's a little spicy. Bleeds into the Pro Tour. Uh, I picked up today about 80 copies of New Perspectives. This is the six mana blue enchantment that when it comes into play, you draw three cards. And if you have seven cards in hand, you get the cycle for free. Um, this is part of a standard combo deck that's been making the rounds. We know, I mean, people p- notice the combo, not right away. It took a little while to get there. Uh, Saffron talked about that deck this week. It popped up. Um, and uh, he did reasonably well with it, I think. Somebody else wrote about it too earlier this week, although I forget who it was 
was, uh, I think, no, maybe it was a daily deck tech over in Channel Fireball. We also know that it was popping up over in Japan associated with Miharo, Mikaharo Mahara or something like that. Mahara Mahara. I don't remember how to pronounce his name. Um, but he is a Japanese player known for playing combo decks in modern. Um, and really interesting decks and doing very well. It's a cool card. It, it does have the possibility of being a, of a standard combo deck, uh, kind of to replace the one we just lost. Um, when you look at the list, it's nothing but common and uncommon cyclers, basically. Uh, and then new perspectives and shadow the grave. Uh, and new perspectives B is kind of like the cornerstone of the deck. I like it the most. You're, that's the one you're going to play the most of. Uh, all the other pieces can kind of probably shift a little bit, but, um, you know, I, again, I got in at like 65 cents. So I don't love these at really more than 75 cents. And that's already kind of pushing it. Uh, your, your goal here, I think is hoping that it does well on camera and copies jump to like three or four bucks. And then you can sell a play set. Uh, which is a big difference between selling, you know, this is another card that can go from like 40, 50 cents to, you know, four or five bucks and have that humongous percentage increase. But unlike flourishing defenses where you're selling one at a time, here you get the sell play set. So my goal here is that these hit four or five dollars and I get to put, you know, I, I spent 350 to put these in an envelope total with the cost of the card for me and I'm selling it for 16 or $20. Uh, so that's my out here. Um, if we don't get there this weekend, uh, I guess I just sit on them and hope that something happens. It probably won't if I don't hit it this weekend and whatever. So it's just a gamble. Uh, and I'm not totally my basically, if you can get them at 30 to 50 cents, I think it's a pretty decent shot, uh, 50 to 75. I don't love it, but if you have information, I don't have, um, actually, let me, let me rephrase that 50 to 75, a little more risky, uh, and above 75, I'm not bothering. So here's the thing that gives me pause on all these combo cards and standard. Um, what is your perspective? <laughs> so the first thing is that Etherworks Marvel has been a feasible card since last fall. Tons of us in the MTG Finance community have said, what the hell, it's a $3 card, buy as many as you, you can carry away in a truck because this thing has to hit again. And here we are heading into the Pro Tour and the Marvel decks are yet again looking like they're going to set up shop as the potential turn for a kill. And yet the card is barely moving. I mean, Star City has Marvel at like eight bucks, but you can get still get copies in the five dollar range. Um, and yes, it's a fall set mythic versus say a spring set rare. Um, but the what really like gave me pause was when my relentless dead copies flew off the shelves this week at fifteen dollars that I got in on at four, and I realized that. You know, most of the demand has nothing to do with the pros. Most of the demand has to do with the local LGS and what people want to play. And tribal decks like Zombies get people's engine running a lot faster than combo decks because the reality is that really only the smartest players are drawn to combo decks because to really play them well and be competitive, you need to be A, committed to the format and showing up on a regular basis to get your, your practice runs in. And B, you got to be smart enough to outplay your opponent and not make mistakes. Um, it's hard to screw up with your zombie deck, at least harder than it is with one of these. And so I, I tend to be looking at the, you know, the, the cards with the broadest appeal when I'm trying to pick out my choice. Now, that, all of that being said, I think that this deck has some hype heading into this weekend. And if it actually does get some camera time, then you, you might get your, your buy list opportunity that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And I think you're, you're for the most part completely correct. Um, you know, Aetherworks Marvel is not moving as much as I guess we kind of might have expected it to. And, you know, tribal cards are always going to be a draw for players more so than standard combo decks. The, the 
one thing that I'm inclined to point to here is that Aetherworks Marvel is a known quantity. It's not exciting anymore. It's not like, oh, we broke it, or oh, this is really cool and new and exciting. It's like, oh yeah, that's the Marvel combo deck. Like We know what it is. We know how it functions, and you're used to playing against it. New Perspectives has hype. And and more importantly, I guess, um, it's novel. And that's what's different uh, from Aetherworks Marvel. So even though the deck is pro- could very well end up being just completely worse, you just have to see it do some cool things on camera. People get excited. They make, buy copies. And then the you know it dies down because the gimmick has worn off pretty quickly. So that's really what I'm banking on here is um, just it being new and different, uh, which Aetherworks Marvel isn't. Yeah, I mean, the other thing here is that the the Saffron Olive effect, right? Like, this, the his YouTube videos on this deck have already been viewed 16,000 times. By the time uh, the week, weekend is out, it might have been viewed more times than there were viewers for the Pro Tour. So entirely possible that that means more to what's going to sell at the local LGS than this does. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I only need a couple, a couple of people to decide they want to buy play sets, and I'm in business. Um, okay, what's your other card this week? So one of the other ones that I had my eye on was a card I realized, I, I mistakenly assumed was an uncommon and then just recently uh, realized is a rare, um, and then suddenly my interest was was more piqued. Um, Anointed Pre- Procession is the kind of shoe-in to join the Atraxa uh, decks in the EDH. This is the enchantment out of Amonkhet for three and a white that basically just doubles the amount of tokens you get anytime you would get tokens. Um, so... You know, it's not doubling season because it doesn't have all of the fun parts. It's not parallel lives, but it probably makes it anyway because it's adding some redundancy in the decks that really want to be abusing this kind of a, a effect. Now, as a foil rare that's already at $6 when the non-foils are available at around 3 you've got the full 100% markup. I'm not sure that the foils or the non-foils can hold those price points. I would expect these rares to get lower. Like the rare, the non foils to get down to closer to a dollar heading into the summer, and hopefully the foils will get into the three to four dollar range and really give you an attractive entry point. But there's no doubt in my mind that three to five years out, rare uh, foils of this card are going to be something that goes to near zero inventory, and then we clean up the last ten copies. Um, at which point it'll be a fifteen or twenty dollar foil um, because the tracks is not going anywhere, and even if it did. Um, the the concept of tokens uh, and counters and all of these kind of like uh, you know galant like dirtily mechanics that all the EDH crowd love to fool around with um, are always going to be the heart and soul of that format and gives me good feelings about where this is going to get to. The other thing is this might end up having a like a, a moment of glory in standard somewhere along the way, which could lead to a spike, which could you know, between that and EDH demand could make the foils pop sooner than you would expect. I wouldn't bank on that happening, but it's a nice, you know, potential add up. Yeah. Uh, you know, what was it? The, what did they call him this week? The, who was the one? Ryan Seacrest of EDH, I think was a term that was, uh, used for Jason, uh, Jason Alt. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember so they, we, someone was arguing on Twitter about cards of spec on blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you guys realize they printed a white doubling season, right? Uh, just kind of like whatever you're talking about doesn't matter in the face of this card, basically. Uh, so, I mean, and he's completely right. It is exactly that effect. Every deck with doubling season, it's white wants this. Every deck that isn't green, uh, but it is white probably, you know, is, might be interested in this. Um, it's very powerful. It's very effective. And in a couple of years, you're going to look back and be like, damn, I don't remember it being so 
you know, when did it get that cheap? Uh, I can't believe it was ever that cheap. So I think that this is a perfectly serviceable uh, long-term hold. Those are the best types of cars. It's such a good lock on a foil. Um, you know, I have stuff like like uh, New Perspectives, which is fun and exciting and it's quick and who knows. But, you know, every week that I am not digging into my spec box to pull out something that kind of has risen over time and spiked is like kind of feels bad. Like I really just want every week to be digging into my box and pulling out something that I bought three years ago. And this is that type of card. Yeah, exactly. All right, so what's next on your list? Uh, this week I have one uh, which is a bit of a good luck, guys. Um, it's Findhorn Elves, and I'm talking specifically about the FTV20 copy. So Findhorn Elves is the Llanowar Elf variant copy, clone, whatever you want to call it. Um, popular and cube and those types of places, uh, popper as well, I guess, for the eight people on the planet who play that in paper. Um, but it was printed in FTV 20. Uh, it's the only foil printing and the only one with art that does not look like a terrible comic book. And, uh, I wouldn't have thought anything about it. And then Doug Johnson, uh, who's over in Brainstorm Brewery was picking some stuff and he's like, Hey, I just like was putting this in my inventory and realized how low stock it was. So I poked around and he's completely right. There's very few out there. Um, at this point, I think UCD players basically been bought out, but you might be able to find copies at your local stores and those types of places in the two to three dollar range. This is a perfectly fine pickup um, because I think like seven, eight, nine dollars is probably a pretty fair price for this, being that it's the only foil printing of this card. Um, you know, if you can get them at two or three, I'd grab them, dump them quick. Um, you know, this could get reprinted. It's not on the reserve list or anything. Uh, so, you know, fine, fine turnaround right now, uh, but not a card that I would want to be camping on forever because they will put it in an, uh, a supplementary product, even possibly Iconic Masters, um, and eventually. I have to assume that the Iconic Elf in Iconic Masters is Llanowar Elves. Um, uh, it's weird that uh, it, that wasn't the choice in FTV20, but FTV20 was warped <laughs> uh, significantly by the presence of Jace the Mind Sculptor, which made them dance through all sorts of hoops to try to balance the EV of the set uh, and make it not like the most ridiculously overpriced uh, limited edition product of all time. And so if I remember correctly, what they ended up doing was saying like they wanted to um, include one card from each of the years of magic. And, yes, and yeah. but then they, but each each year that won, each year a card that won the Pro Tour, right? <laughs> but they ended up choosing all these weird cards like Findhorn Elves that gave, made people scratch their heads. Like, is that really the most iconic card from that year? And that's why I, I I'm dubious about where we're going to get to with Iconic Masters and whether people are going to be disappointed um, because their definition of iconic and what Wizards uh, feels like they have to do um, to balance the set. Uh, for limited play and also not blow their entire wad on on one release leads me to Gross. believe that there's going to be some weird stuff going on there. Um, yeah, so I like this. Uh, I had no idea that the supply was so low on this. Even over in Europe, there's not very many copies sitting around. Uh, Nobody under, knew under five bucks. Um, I popped like I had thir- twelve or fourteen FTV twenty sets that never went anywhere, and I ended up cracking them just to get the jaces and flip those out on puka trade for major bonuses um so i have all the other non-jace cards like maybe 12 copies of each sitting around including three play sets of findhorn elves so now that i know that there are none i guess that i should take photos of those and pop put them up for sale uh yeah i would <laughs> um so there you go what's your second card this week um third third card yeah, so one of the rares that I do like, uh, 
that I think uh, has the nice mix of it might get there in standard, and even if it doesn't, it's an excellent long-term hold, is Liliana's Mastery, uh, a card that I think is being overlooked um, from a finance perspective. Um, because of just how deep the zombie tribe goes and how committed uh, the players are, I think that, you know, if we're talking about uh, tribes that people are pretty excited about, you got elves, zombies, goblins, angels, um, and and not a whole lot else um, that far up the chain. And the fact that this puts two 3-3 three, three zombies in play for five and then buffs all the rest of your zombies makes this an automatic include in zombie casual and EDH decks for from now until eternity. Um, and I think that right now at a dollar, you don't have to be super excited or be in a rush to pick some up. But if you can track some down, say, early summer in the 50 cent range um, and you're willing to sit on them for three to five years, then I think you're going to get to exit over five at some point. Uh, yeah, sure. That's not a terrible pick. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting card. Um, and if it gets there in standard, you're definitely definitely getting paid off and the dollars is pretty cheap jim davis posted like his predictions for the pro tour because he's not qualified um uh, on star city today in the paid section and one of his points was that he thought a zombie deck was going to top eight and he thought that this card was underplayed and when it and that it should be played as a four of because it's the biggest payoff along with the uh uh minus x minus x make zombies um card whose name escapes me uh, he said, you know, both cards are being underplayed and that he thought this was going to get a chance to shine. Um, even if it doesn't happen at the pro tour, the long-term, uh, possibilities for this, if you can get in a little cheaper than a buck seem pretty good to me. Okay. Uh, I'm in. So let's move on to segment three, kind of a big segment three. Uh, we're kind of looking at the, what we're could see it with the pro tour this week. Um, so we're going to start by looking at a couple standard events from MTGO, uh, one of the first one that I'm looking at just randomly has two marvelous energy decks in the top four, first and fourth, also a Mardu vehicle and a Boros human deck. So there's those, um, those Aetherworks Marvel decks that, you know, we can we're kind of referenced a moment ago. And if I look across the other two events, I see at least one Aether Marvel works in the other one. And, uh, looks like the third event doesn't have any, but we are seeing Aetherworks Marvel pop up on, on Moto, at least with some level of success. So I think that that's pretty much a lock for showing up at the Pro Tour. Yeah, so the field has opened up a little bit from when Sahili Rai was on the table. Uh, it's not clear to me that Marvel isn't just slotting into that turn four combo threat position. Um, green, black decks seem a little worse um, because they're kind of grindy and they can't really handle the Marvel unless they have dedicated artifact uh, hate slots. Um, and it's unclear how many of those they're going to want, depending on what the configurations for Mardu look like. Uh, some of the Mardu lists have been uh, he- heavier on the vehicles in a more traditional form. Um, others have been more controllish with more kill spells and leaning a little heavier on unlicensed disintegration to polish off their opponent. Um the there's a bunch of wacky combo decks that have a shot um uh including the new perspectives deck we talked about there is approach of the second sun in some versions of marvel um there is uh, a pretty strong chance that either uh aggro zombies or aggro humans um shows up in some minority presence the 
The deck that I've got my eye on that I think is very well positioned right now is the blue-red control lists um, that are just have way more access to counter spells than they had six months ago. And if you don't get them killed early, they can lean on cards like Sweltering Sun um, or Kozilek's Return to um, mop up a board and then just start countering everything you do and eventually finish you off with whatever is you know their, their finisher of choice. We've got a Sphinx that's uncounterable and prevents their cards from being countered, which is a pretty good card to set up shop with in the late game if you're surrounded by counter spells. Um, and uh, there are a few other options uh, for those decks. The, it's not clear to me whether they're going to run Thing in the Ice or not. I've seen a couple of different versions. Um, I've, I've even seen uh, Teamer Energy builds that don't have the uh, Felidar Guardian combo, but are still running Sahili Rai. Uh, one of the leagues you were talking about, what, the first place was a Teamer Energy build that had four Sahili Rai with, with, without the combo. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, I, maybe not. Maybe it's not time to count Sahili out yet. Uh, I mean, she's a strong planeswalker for sure. Uh, you know, we didn't see much of her before the combo, but that doesn't mean a lot. It doesn't mean she couldn't come back. Um, I, I'm seeing zombies all over the place here too. By the way, you know, part of that I think is it's probably reasonably easy to build on Moto, also reasonably easy to play as opposed to a combo deck, which is, requires a lot more mini game actions. Um, but you know, it's we're I, we're definitely going to see that show up too. Uh, it's just a question of how successful it will be. I also see this Teamer Energy deck over here in first place one week. Um, you know, this is the one that runs. Uh, boy, what is this? What is this even? What is the end goal with this deck? It's just a bunch of cards that generate energy, I guess. Like, I was looking for the Dynavolt Tower, but I'm not actually seeing it. So now I'm not even sure. You're talking about the one that has Healy Rai, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is it. That yeah, is so, it. Yeah, yeah. So what he's doing here, they, they count. They, the thing that people have forgotten about Healy Rai is that she copies an artifact or creature. Um, so if you have a Glorybringer, you can copy the Glorybringer and double exert, kill two things, and hit for eight. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty gross. The You can also uh, duplicate Ooh, yeah. your Manglehorn and uh, destroy two artifacts on that turn. Um, Whirler Virtuoso coming into play uh, generates uh, six energy if you duplicate it, which lets you make two colorless Lopter tokens. Rogue Refiners, when they're doubled, uh, draw extra cards. I mean, this is just a value deck. Yeah, that is, isn't it? It's interesting too because I kind of wouldn't have really expected to see that, but that's what it is. This actually reminds me of like blue black decks back in the day that were uh, based on using Cavern Harpy to gate uh, comes in like one eight seven creatures like Necrotal and Man of War in and out of play over and over and over again for infinite value. Hmm. Hmm. Um. So, I mean, how about Nisa Steward of Elements? Is that a card that's I, on your watch list? I really like this card. I have liked it since it was spoiled. And I pray to God that it bombs this pro tour so I can buy these at $4. I think Nisa Steward of Elements is going to be very good and standard at some point in time. I think that that variable Planeswalker is just going to be... We've never seen one before, and I really expect it to be very useful. You know, if you have your back against the wall, you can drop it and fire it. 
and uh, either bait your opponent into attacking it or, you know, kind of sets you up to start running away next turn. Um, if you top deck at late game, it can do a ton. Uh, I, I just, I really like this card and I just want it to do badly so that I can buy them for cheap. One of the other things I'm seeing is two or three different ways to build blue decks, all of which run Torrential Gearhulk. Yeah. Um, Gearhulk heading into the fall card that could be the next Gideon hit 30 hit 40 maybe i mean he's what like 20 something right now uh and he's definitely positioned to be the best blue card in standard oh, he's up to like he's up to like 25 right now in tcg player i mean he's kind of already there right like and the thing is is nobody's really talked about it like i should say like none of the finance crowd has really been like oh torrential gearhawk torrential gearhawk we all know he's going to be all over the place the problem is everybody else does too so his price is too high for us to really act on it's more like well what are they going to play with their torrential gearhawks and combo decks are or uh, control decks are historically very common and uncommon heavy because you have like just counter spells and card draw and stuff like that so that's why like commit to memory is pretty interesting um We've already had two potential entry points for Gear Hulk at the four, it fourteen dollars. So in January it was below fourteen, and just before Amonkhet it was at fourteen. So it's actually up, uh, you know, almost to thirty, um, depending on you know what measurement you're using. So it's almost been a double up, but it hasn't shown up on our week to week list because it's been a slow, steady increase over the course of about six weeks. Yep, yep. Uh, which is, I guess kind of snuck in under the radar if you were paying attention you could have grabbed these i mean you would have had to buy them at you know you're you were gonna you would have been lucky to find them at 12 or 13 so i kind of liked them there i was really hoping to see them at 10 if they had at 10 i would have been in for a couple copies but they didn't get low enough so i missed it but um and, and keep i mean in at mind, this point hmm god keep in mind that last fall just around the pro tour you could get these at eight bucks uh this those are priced this time last year no, around the Pro Tour for Kaladesh. Okay, Kaladesh, yeah. Yeah, well, because we didn't really know yet, right? That was the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I know. mean, just goes to show, don't don't second-guess Snapcaster Mages. Yeah, right, they're still good. Um, are there any other decks that you're kind of keeping an eye out for? Well, I, I note that all these zombies lists from the last few days are all, already running Liliana's Mastery, so there's no mystery left there. Um, looks like everybody's come to the conclusion that that's a, the place to be. I, it's probably worth pointing out that things like uh, Dynavolt Tower as like a two of rare in that deck that doesn't appear anywhere else, that's not something you want to bet on. Even if that deck won the Pro Tour, um, that's not a card I would want to be holding necessarily. Right, yep, yep, I agree there. A card like Torrential Gearhulk or Traverse the Ulvenwald, um, you know, something that's going to show up in a whole bunch of different decks um, and therefore is not... Uh, is less sensitive to shifts in the meta that's where you want to be yeah yeah for sure um all and on that note sphinx of the spinal word has uh, apparently been kind of slipping in inventory a little bit people have been scoring copies of those i guess it jumped on moto too i don't i'm not going to tell you that it is impossible for that card to jump in price i mean it's a mythic from oath of the gatewatch so it is possible but we have no reason at this point to expect it to happen, right? Like, I I don't see a deck that plays more than one or two of them, and you don't spec on an old mythic, like a, a soon to rotate standard mythic, uh, under that 
under that plan. So maybe there's some deck that we just don't know about that's just going to like somehow shovel these into play and it's going to be really good and it will kind of justify being worth a $2 purchase. But at this point, we have no reason to believe that. So man, if you know more than we do, I guess. Well, I mean, if you got in at one to two and you're selling this week at six to eight, power to you. Fantastic work. Um, although I think that you got lucky more than you got smart. The, yes, for sure. The, the, because the thing is that it's only played as a one of I haven't even seen any lists with two of them. And the the card is rotating, like you said. And control decks are going to be less popular in general across the country and across the world than the control decks are. Uh, sorry, the control decks are less popular than the aggro decks are. Um, you're, you're still going to see a ton of Marty vehicles at your local shop. You're going to see a whole bunch of black-green. You're going to see aggro humans, tons of zombies, and significantly less of anything that's running the Sphinx. If it was a four of, totally different story. A four of mythic can come out of nowhere and hit twenty dollars. And if it was a two or three, then that's a slam dunk. But I just don't see that being the future for that card. Me neither. Me neither. Um, so looks like I'm looking through some of the comments. I know that you asked people what they thought might be uh, might be coming into the pro tour. Hazard and Ronus. What do you think about those guys? Uh, I think that we're going to see them go down before they go have a chance to go up. Um, there doesn't seem to be any deck that's leaning heavily enough on them. Um, Ronus has shown up in standard and modern lists, but often as a one of, never more than a two of. Um, the legendary status just really hurts the card's potential to to pop. Um, so I, I think I foil Ronus once it hits a, a low this summer and will be something I'll definitely be looking at for EDH assumption um, and some outside chance in modern, but nothing I'm in a rush to pick up. Yeah. I mean, Hazra is, yeah, he's still like six, seven bucks. Not quite there yet for me. Uh, you know, I could see picking up Hazra at three um, on the chance that, you know, especially this fall when we lose all of Battle for Zendikar, um, Red might get his chance to stretch his wings. It could be good there as a curve topper, um, but not this pro tour. Ronis also, yeah, like $15 for copies. <sighs> you know, it's, again, maybe, maybe you could see this breakout, but I certainly don't like it at that price. Um, people are saying, I've seen some people say approach of the second sun guys. No, <laughs> please don't. Uh, you have very, very, very few decks. are going to run approach of the second sun as a four of, so just, you know, it's not really worth it. Um, if there works, Marvel is a common pick I'm seeing, uh, it's memory, uh, new perspectives, stuff like that. On, on whim, I bought 12 copies of approach of the second sun. Cause I thought it was undervalued at 75 cents or whatever. I got them. The place that's it. I think it places were three bucks. So yeah, 75 cents. Um, on the premise that if it ended up being the uh, Etherworks Marvel deck of choice, then it would get there. But the thing is, there's two or three different ways to build Marvel, and I don't think we're going to come to a conclusion as to which one's the best one, unless uh, it becomes a dominant force at the Pro Tour, and um, at which point it's Marvel that you really want to be in on at the $3 price point, because it'll get its chance at the $10 to $12 price point um, if there are multiple ways to build it and they're all doing well. Um at which point, I think you just go ahead and get out, right? Like you want to get it if you can get out on in on Marvel somewhere near three and out over ten, then that's just slam dunk. Do it and move on. Man, you are uh, you are on that seventy five cent to three dollar plan, selling one or two copies at a time. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I'm not saying that the the knee jerk purchase of Approach of the Second Son was intelligent. That's like a late night eBay for funsies kind of purchase. <laughs> no, well, if I'm serious, then I'm at like it, and there's a card at that price point that I want. I'm talking about sixty, eighty, a hundred copies. Um, so twelve for me is the equivalent of like 
one copy for somebody else. Um, I'll spread them around some decks or, you know, trade them out or they'll just sit there and rot in my like crappy spec box that's full of silly things like that. Well, I want to highlight just so our listeners don't think I'm picking on you that, you know, I can I can laugh about you at you for that, but I'm sure all of us could sit here and go on for hours about what's in our spec boxes that is shameful in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, do, do <laughs> or as, we, the very least do as we say, not as we do, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> the, right. There, I, I mean, there's all sorts of silly little things. I'm going to do an article actually later this year, pull, pull out all my worst specs from the last five years, and we can have an excellent laugh over that. <laughs> well, you know, I just got 160 copies of uh, the Kaladesh Nessa. So uh, here's hoping that she does not end up in that category, but that because that would be that would be quite. I think I would could take the crown of worst spec given like buy-in and quantities purchased if that completely nosedives. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I you have to be given your volume, you've got a good chance at it. Um, but I did buy fifteen Sarkin Dragon Speaker at like fifteen dollars at some point during fifteen. Yeah. So, so I was like, it's the whole blocks about dragons. I mean, obviously he's going to be good. Uh, we're all wah, we're wah, all responsible wah. for for some of that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all right, is there anything else you want to cover before we we take off for the week here? Make mistakes on the way to greatness. That's the, the bottom line. Um, <laughs> so I I think be, black green is going to be worse. I think we're not going to see all that much. Uh, uh, black green at the pro tour um and let uh unless they come up with some very unique configuration that can beat marvel consistently the other combo decks as well and fend off the aggro decks and i think that's going to be a tough spot i think we're going to see a a polarized pro tour where there's people that are trying to push aggro to the limit and be very fast um and maybe try to have some uh double strike type synergies i've got my eye on that red card that nobody's playing um the one that doubles all the damage your permanents and spells do for the turn or is it just permanents and then and the deals basically essentially the back half of it deals four to a creature and four to a planeswalker or player you know it's funny you say that because uh you know you said oh nobody's really talking about it but i've actually seen it brought up several times um by by other several sources so it's uh it's, I would not call under the radar at this point, and that could end up being one of the breakout cards of the event for sure. Is that insult to injury, or have I got that wrong? Yes, that is what it is. It's insult to injury, and it has been definitely been popular. Um, some people said that it's just they feel like they're doing more damage than they're supposed to be able to do in Magic, and like 20 people in a turn. Right. So, I mean, that that's a possibility. The people, uh, Somebody asked us about Walking Ballista. Uh, what's the current price on Ballista? It's probably about ten bucks still. Um, yeah, it looks like it's sitting it's... sitting around ten dollars. Um, I think Ballista, right? You know, regular copies of Ballista are probably a sell. Um, foils are a hold. Uh, you can get foils now for eighteen, and I think we called people to get in on that uh, several shows back. Yeah, I called it in show 64 at 18 to hit 30. There's still copies around at 18. Um, I think that's still the place to be if you're talking about Ballista. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I think I like that more than some of the other options. Um, you know, re- keep in mind that, well, you got to say, 
Kaladesh is still good through this fall, right? Yeah, because it just came out. So actually, Walking Ballista might be... I'd already spiked. I was going to say it might actually be well-positioned uh, for the fall because what you're going to do is you're going to kind of have that rotation where all, lots of the old cards tend to spike. Um, with, the, with the major rotation, the challenge there is that um, it already spiked which makes it kind of tougher, you know what I mean, to get that second bump, but we'll see. Yeah, rares over 10 that are colorless and broken can hit 20, um, but I don't think I want to sit around waiting for it to. Um, I'd rather just put my money into the foils and know for a fact that that $20 foil is going to turn into a $30 foil sooner or later. Yeah. Because uh, keep yeah. in mind, it's from Ether Revolt, not Kaladesh, so the, the total inventory is significantly reduced versus a false set rare. Oh, that is, that, I mean, that's true, but even then, you know, you're buying in at 10 and like you know, is you are you really getting a rare up to twenty dollars? I mean, that happens in standards so infrequently that it's not worth uh, not worth banking on. Yeah, foils is where it's at with that card, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, sure. Ulamog and Gideon, I think we can both agree, um, those are get the hell out, and you should have been out earlier. Um, yeah. Even though that they are still going to be, you know, full on dominant presences, like Ulamog is the kill card of choice in all of the Marvel decks for the most part, and uh, Gideon is just too good not to play if you're playing in white. Um, but because they're rotating, we're and we're back into this classical rotation paradigm. Uh, the time to get out on that card was in like January or something. Both yep, of those. Completely cards. agree. It is uh, time has come and gone for those. Um, also, they're like torrential gear, gear, torrential gear hawk. It's like yes, the card will be there. Yes, it will be good, but it's too late to do anything about it. Uh, how about pull from tomorrow? That's the uh, pseudo brain geyser that makes you discard a card. Yeah, I heard Seth refer to that as uh, the best card in standard. We will see. Um, certainly interesting. It's got some synergies out there. Uh, the price actually on that jumped a little bit, so it's too late to really get in, I think. Copies are um, – not pull from the deep, pull from tomorrow. There we go. Uh, co- oh, God, copies are like 5 and $6. So this is obviously Pro Tour hype. You can't touch this at this point. You could have picked them up at like 253. Even then, it was okay. I didn't love it. Uh, it was a good card to trade for at your local store because then you could trade out for them at double, double the price. Um, but we could see that be a big part of, st- of, uh, of this event for sure. Yeah, I think one of the problems there is that as an X spell, it doesn't work in the control flavored uh, Marvel Etherworks decks. Um, Etherworks Marvel decks. Um, mm-hmm. because they can't cast X spells effectively. So it's in the more pure control builds that I would look for it to show up. And in those builds, I suspect it's only a one or a two of. Um, like the is a control deck that finished fifth in one of the leagues we were just looking at. They're only running one copy in the main. Um, so not particularly exciting. Uh, you know, it's all, in my mind in those decks, it's still all about Torrential Gear Hulk's uh, potential to uh, hit 30, but your opportunity there has already passed. So uh I think what you really want is control decks to do badly um, this week so that gear Hulk gets back down under 20 and gives you another chance to get in. Yeah, I would be in for that. I would totally be in for that. Um, okay, let's wrap it up. I want to go eat dinner. <laughs> uh, so James, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG critic as well as via my weekly articles on MTG price.com. And uh, what about you, Travis? Uh, I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I am on Cartel Aristocrats every Monday. I write for MTG Price every Monday. Uh, and if you like playing Magic and you want to find events in your area, check out scry.land. We have a new table view with more features to come. If you like playing Magic, check out scry.land. 
I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Well, I really enjoyed our time together here, James, uh, and I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance after the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm.